Psalm 95. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it. And, he, and his, lands formed the dry, his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter into my rest. Good morning, church. Would you join me as we begin our time going to the Lord in prayer? Thy presence, gracious God, afford, prepare us to receive thy word. And let thy voice engage our ear and faith be mixed with what we hear. Distracting thoughts and cares remove. Fix our hearts and hopes above. With food divine may we be fed and satisfied with living bread. To us the sacred word apply with sovereign power and energy. And may we in thy faith and fear reduce to practice what we hear. Father in us thy son reveal. Teach us to know and do thy will. Thy saving power and love display and guide us to the realms of day. Father this morning I pray your word would do its work in us. We know from your word that when your word goes forth, it does not return to you empty and void, but it accomplishes the very purpose for which you send it. So, Lord, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would teach us this morning what you would have us to know from your word, and in particular, this psalm in Psalm 95. May we have ears to hear this morning what you would have us to know, and I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The psalm begins this morning. O come. I draw your attention to those two words. Verse 1 and verse 6. We see those two words. And in both instances those two words come to us as a command. Right at the beginning... Calling each of you. And in fact, the text is actually calling you. I'm merely speaking what the text says here. Oh, come. The call moves you into action. It's not an option, but a command. Oh, come. And the call is for the whole body. How do I know? Context tells me. Let us sing. Let us shout. Let us come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel. You see the plurality there? No doubt we can do these things individually in our times of worship, in our relationship, in our time alone with the Lord. But what we are reading about today are things that we are to be doing together. And, you know, just this week I was reminded of the many occasions where some of my children have issued a call for me to come. Parents, you probably can, this will resonate with you. You have younger children who are throughout the day inviting you and calling you to come to 
come and see. To come and watch me, Dad. You know, focusing for just a moment apart from the command aspect of the text. The call to come, church, has a purpose to it. There's something to take note of. There's something to see. And in this text, right here in Psalm 95, something to hear. Oh, come. That's the call as we begin the psalm. And just as a side note, an asterisk, if you will, we're going to spend the majority of our time in the first seven verses. There, there's, there's a lot here. And some of these verses could be messages in and of themselves, as I found out this week. You've come this morning into the Lord's house. This happens to be an elementary school building. Serves as our place of worship. Some of you have come quite a distance to be here. You have come together with other believers in the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ sit all around. And for just a moment, go ahead and look around you. You have permission right now. Some of you do it anyway, so I just thought, you know, we go ahead and give permission right up front. You can look around, see the brothers and sisters in the Lord that are seated around you here today. Smile, nod, acknowledge they're here. Whether you realize it or not, this place is designated as a, as a gathering point for the believer to worship God through the person of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet I ask, and as I was reading this, the question comes, what is it to worship the Lord? You come here, the call is to come, oh come. You, you come here, many of you, week after week after week. You take your seats in those comfortable fold-up chairs. But where's, maybe a precursor question, why do you come? The call is to come. But I'm asking this morning right up front, why do you come? You come and take your seats, but where's your heart this Sunday morning? Your body is here, but where is your mind this morning? Is it thinking of all the things you're going to be doing yet later this afternoon? Is it thinking of the wonderful meal that you might be enjoying later this afternoon? What is it that caused you to get up out of your bed this morning? Some of you young people, perhaps it's mom and dad got me out of bed. But if asked to give an answer for why you're here today, what would you say? Follow-up question. Would you be telling the truth if someone were to ask you that and you were to give them an answer? Would it be the truth as to why you're here today? How did you prepare for this morning's time of worship? Have you made it a habit to prepare for Sunday morning worship? If so, how do you prepare? How do you do that? You know, I'm afraid... I'm concerned that some go through all the trouble of getting out of bed in the morning to come into this school building. And yet they have nothing to offer the Lord. What a tragedy. Think about this. What a tragedy to come into the house of the Lord empty handed. Let me give you an Old Testament and a New Testament. Old Testament. Deuteronomy 16. 16 and 17. Three times a year, remember? All males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, 
Feast of Weeks and at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which is given to you. Fast forward to New Testament. Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. Paul says, how is it then, brethren? Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. The point of emphasis in that text I'd like to bring to your attention this morning is the part that says, whenever you come together, each of you has... Tell me, do you have something to give to the Lord today? Do you have something that would edify and build up the body of Christ? If you are a part of this body, why would you ever considering entering into his gates empty-handed, with nothing prepared, nothing ready to offer the Lord? You see, that was unheard of to do such a thing. The psalm this morning is a call to come, and it's a call to all of those in Christ. But for what purpose? Why issue a call to come in the first place? Why? For what purpose do we come together? Look at the text. Verses 1 and 2. We'll spend a few minutes here. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. That's one of my favorite verses right here. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. So, first thing here. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us sing to the Lord. What purpose do we come together? Let's sing to the Lord. We gather together to sing to the Lord. The Lord is the one to whom we sing. The one who knit us together in our mother's womb is also the one who has given us a voice box. He's given you the ability to make music. Ephesians chapter 5, 18 and 19 says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart. To whom? To the Lord. Now I want you to notice something about those two verses in Ephesians. I read both of them for a reason. Verse 18 is the back end of a contrast. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And what follows are three participles. And those participles flow out of the phrase, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking, singing, making melody. I want you to see that singing flows out of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get me wrong. Some of you might be ahead of me here in thinking... Many people can sing absent of the Holy Spirit. However, it's the Holy Spirit in you that allows you to sing unto the Lord... The Spirit in you guides and directs to the things of the Lord. He is not about, that's the Holy Spirit, He is not about bringing glory unto Himself. But He is at all times pointing you to Christ. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. This only happens when one is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when we look at the parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3, we get another piece to this. Colossians 3, 16 and 17, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, 
Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Not only does our singing flow out of being filled with the Spirit, but the Colossians text would remind us that our singing also flows out of the word of Christ that dwells in us richly. The Spirit of Christ and the word of Christ in you. So what does this mean? It means that when you come into the Lord's house, on the Lord's day in particular, you are coming not simply to occupy a chair. You're not some fan in the stands. You are a participant. You don't simply come to raise your hand to Chart your attendance, I'm here today. You you come here to worship the Lord your God. And one aspect of worshiping God is singing unto the Lord. Notice that in that Colossians text, it is singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Singing with grace in your hearts. Do you realize that God has given to you a gift you didn't deserve? Do you realize that this morning? Do you recognize that God sent his only son down here to earth that he might save you from your sins and take upon himself in his flesh your sins? 2 Corinthians 5.21 That you might become the righteousness of God in him. What a gracious God we serve. Remember the song, Grace, Grace, God's Grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Or we sing oftentimes about the wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Or how about Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2. I was dead. God, he made me alive in Christ Jesus. Singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eyes on the sparrow and I know he's watching me. See, there is a freedom in our singing when we know the Lord. When we have the spirit of Christ in us, church. Singing with an understanding of what God has done for you. Singing with an understanding that you were once dead and now have been made alive. Singing with an awareness of your union with Christ. That you have died with Christ. That you've been buried with Christ. And now also have been raised with Christ. For what purpose? The Bible says to walk in newness of life. And there I begin to wonder. About the connect point. When the psalmist elsewhere says to sing unto the Lord a new song. You see, when you begin to walk in newness of life through the Spirit's mighty power. And you begin to take in this word of Christ. Your singing will truly be a new song. It's going to be new. It's going to be different. Because the Spirit of Christ is in you. Because the Word of God is in you. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord, church, in this manner. The psalmist keeps going. We come not only to sing to the Lord, but look what he says next. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Now, this verse may be very uncomfortable to many of you here. Shouting in the Lord's house seems a bit out of place. Loud noises are oftentimes frowned upon. And yet, 
I see other instances in the Psalms where loud noises are a part, not the whole, hear me, they're a part of the praise. If you go to the end of the Psalms in Psalm 150, you see that very clearly, instrumentally. Praise him with what? Loud cymbals. Anybody ever played cymbals? You know, I, I never played cymbals, but I've always dreamed that one day, there'd be this day, where I just get these cymbals. I always, I'm thinking about Psalm 150, and I always think about, you know, um, Star Spangled Banner, I get to hear it every time I referee a game during the season. And I think about the parts of that song where, uh, you know, the song's going and, and there's, there's, there's good parts there where symbols would be a part of that song. I just want to, just want to do that. Loud symbols. Praise him with clashing symbols as if loud symbols is not sufficient. Shout joyfully. What does that look like? What does it sound like? Perhaps instead of imagining what it might look like outwardly, instead of what it might sound like audibly, perhaps the text provides the insight we need in terms of the point being made here. The text says, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let me ask you a question. Does your salvation make you want to shout? Amen. You know, it's, 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 it's one of those awkward, uncommon things to take shouting into consideration. But from what we read in the text, let us shout joyfully to the rock. There's a person here that we're to be shouting toward. It's not, we're not just out into the air, into the blue shouting. There is a object There's an object, and the object being the person. There's someone to whom we're shouting here. It's God. Who is he? He's the rock of my salvation. That excites me. That gets me pretty fired up about things. Because God, as we read earlier, he's been gracious to me. I want to be able to sing with grace in my heart, understanding he's given me something I didn't deserve. He's given you something you didn't deserve. We need to shout joyfully under the rock of our salvation church. We have much to be grateful for. See, it's God's salvation. This, this shout, I love the descriptor word in the text, shout joyfully. Very fitting. You see, God's salvation, it's only God's salvation that makes it possible for you to shout joyfully. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Shouting joyfully to the rock of our salvation. It flows out of the spirit in you. You see church, the gospel, the good news. The good news has come. And this is the greatest news anyone could ever hear. Is there anything better than this news? Have you found anything here on earth that's better than this news? I haven't found anything. If you find something, let me know. I don't think you're going to find it though. Anything better than this? This is the good news. And then I was reminded of the things today that that people shout about. I mean, I'd like to just for a moment take inventory of of the things that you shout about. Perhaps you're ashamed to think about those things. You might shout over, be inclined to shout over. As I heard on Friday night, there was a, there was a coach who, who desired to shout about a few calls that were made. and um, He had to receive an early exit for shouting. But you know, maybe the shouting has to do with something that you're passionate about. A hobby. A fan of something. You fill in the blank. You know. You raise your voice to shout because you are engaged and concerned about the outcome. Maybe the shouting is going on in your home 
Dad and mom, in particular, exhort you to listen on this one. Stop it. Shouting to make your point, shouting to win an argument, shouting to prove your point. The Bible says that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's James chapter 1 verse 20. Of all the things to shout about, why is it, think about it, why is it that our shouting is oftentimes filled with angry words which come from what the Bible says comes from an angry heart which oftentimes manifests itself in angry face. What about the song, and they'll know we are Christians by our love? By our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Not by winning an argument. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Number three, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Oh, there's a great segue in the text right here. Shouting joyfully to the rock of our salvation cultivates a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving, doesn't it? We come together to sing and to shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. But we also come together with a spirit of thanksgiving. You might remember the words to the chorus. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. If you've been saved, you know what this text is speaking of. Each time we come together, do you bring a spirit of thanksgiving with you? What is it that you are thankful to God for? Perhaps right now might be a good opportunity to write down, jot down a list of some things in particular right now in your life that you're thankful to God for. The text goes on and says, let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Now on the surface, this particular line may seem redundant. But if you look closely, you'll see something different. Shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation and now shout joyfully to him with psalms. The first speaks primarily to whom we shout joyfully. The second explains by what means we shout joyfully. The Psalms. Isn't it interesting that in the Psalms we find an instruction to shout joyfully to him with Psalms? And so I thought this morning we would just, you know, be an opportunity. In fact, James 5, 13 talks about is anyone sick? Let him pray. But then he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing Psalms. So we practiced a little bit, but while we're here and in the midst of the call to do so, let it be appropriate even in our own psalm, Psalm 95. Come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. Come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You see, we have opportunity to practice that. And there are so many psalms, so many words you probably know. Songs that, that stem, come, flow right out of the psalms. In fact, if you turn to Psalm 119, and Psalm 119, verses 49 and 50. And then if you flip over to Psalm 147, there, there's another song. And some of you may know the song, but... Uh, Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort and my affliction for your word has given me life. I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. You see the Psalms. The Psalms are meant to be used as an expression of our worship. Hope and pray that would be something you too would be able to practice. We come together to worship 
our great God. Shout joyfully the psalms unto the Lord. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 connects verses 1 and 2. You see, verse 3 provides good reasons for doing all these things we've just talked about when we come together. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. See, 1 and 2 are connected with 3 by taking into consideration this God that we worship. The Lord, the one we sing to, the one we shout joyfully to with psalms, the one before whom we come as thankful people. This Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. Once again, there are words to songs that come. Only you and you alone are worthy of the glory, Lord. And every crown we'll ever wear, we lay it down. We bow our knees. We confess, you are Lord all by yourself. You reign alone upon your throne of righteousness. Only you. Or how about, oh, worship the king. All glorious above and gratefully sing his wonderful love. Church, can you confidently sing, king of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. This great God, this great King, there is no rival. There's no one we are to place beside. In fact, we read in Jeremiah chapter 10, Starting in verse 6, listen to these words. Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. But they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. Talking about these idols that man makes. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Silver is beaten into plates. It is brought from Tarshish and gold from Euphaz. The work of the craftsmen and of the hands of metalsmith. Blue and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skillful men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Church, we come together to worship this great God and King. I hope you're here this morning to honor to exalt, to magnify Him. If you're here for any other reason, if you're here for any other reason, and I believe this morning would be a good time, I believe this morning would be an appropriate time to just put out on the table why someone might be here today. Can we be so bold as to express some other reasons why we would enter into the gates of the Lord's house? Keep in mind who this God is. There are some, perhaps, who come into the Lord's house to gain attention. Some, perhaps, come to fulfill their church attendance for the week. Some come, perhaps, to satisfy a spouse or a parent. Some come to see others. You've got friends. That's wonderful. It's great. I hope that's not your primary reason for being here, though. Maybe so bold as to take it a step further. Some are coming, perhaps, not just to see other friends, but perhaps. Is there more than just seeing someone as a friend as to why you might come on a Sunday morning? Are we missing our purpose in being here, church? Perhaps we come because we have opportunity in the afternoons to play. Maybe I'm striking a chord with some young people in the room. Is that why you come? 
Is that what motivates you to be here? Some of you, are you here to work on your networking contacts? Oh, the church can be a wonderful place where you meet a lot of people. Is it business as usual when you come into the Lord's house? Some of you may simply come to just have a good meal. This is one of the best meals you get all week. And some of these things aren't necessarily bad things. Let me, let me say that very clearly. But church, listen, they are not to be the primary reason we come together. They're not the primary reason we get out of bed in the morning to come together. Our primary is to worship the king, to worship this great God. We come together to offer him a sacrifice of praise, to give our undivided attention to him. And as if there's any proof that's needed to back up who this God is, the psalmist provides it in verses 4 and 5. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. You know, that, that, that statement struck me. It's sort of like the, the, the statement in the book of Genesis where, you know, it's talking in Genesis chapter 1 about all the things that he's made. And then it gets to how he made the, you know, the, the heavens and, and he also made the stars. Just a little thing. The sea is his. And he made it. That's a lot. That's big stuff. And we look at the psalmist in the end of that verse. His hands form the dry land. You see the deep places of the earth, text says, are in his hand. Heights of the hills belong to him. The sea, he made it. Dry land, he formed it. What do you notice about this? Well, see, these verses tell us something about this great God, don't they? Tell us a lot about this great king whom we serve. He is the owner of all things. Nothing is hidden from him. He is, in fact, the owner, the creator, God. Now, there are a lot of people today that don't like the idea of God being the creator, the one who created this world. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, I believe most people in here probably know this verse. In the beginning, what? God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in light of who this God is that we worship, in light of the fact that he is the great God and the great king, how should that impact us? What is our intended response to the God described here in the Bible? Keep following the text. You're going to see a second now, second imperative. Verse 6, O come. There it is again. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Church, we come together to worship. And we worship the Lord by faith. We do that. And I was reminded in thinking about that of, of Genesis chapter 22. And Abraham, you might remember, has been called to take his son, his only son, Isaac, and to take him up to the hill, Mount Moriah, to offer him there as a sacrifice. Prior to that event, as they are preparing things and preparing to make the walk up the hill, we read these words in verses 4 and 5, Genesis 22. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. Church, I, I believe there's something very important here that we need to grab a hold of this morning. Worship it's costly. It's costly. Abraham obeyed the voice of the Lord to take his son, his only son, and to offer him on the altar. And you know what? There's a, there's a parallel passage here that I believe is important. And it's in, it's in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. In Isaac your seed shall be called. He kept hearing this and he heard this word. And yet the word was now to take Isaac and to sacrifice him. Verse 19, Hebrews 11, concluding. Here's what Abraham concluded. That God was able to raise him up. 
That's faith. Even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. You see, we think oftentimes of worship as just merely singing or music. But worship is so much more. And there's a cost attached to worship. What is it, church, that the Lord requires of you? I was reminded of this in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10 is a wonderful passage which gives us many things here to to take to heart and consider. Verses 12, 13, 14, chapter 10. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. See, the fear of the Lord, church, is foundational in our worship. If you have no fear of the Lord, you are probably, most likely, not going to be worshiping the Lord. You're going to find some other things to do. To fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. In that Psalm 95, we see the reference to bowing and kneeling. You know, as I was considering that, speaking to the idea of humility, the idea of submission, bring to mind coming under the authority of another. And in this case, we bow and kneel before the great God and great King, the maker of all things. As we worship, let's remember our posture, not necessarily the physical aspect here, okay? But the posture of the heart. Are you coming into his presence, submitting yourself under, as Peter says, the mighty hand of God? Notice the reference to the Lord our maker. Verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5 serve as evidence to the very things God has made. This list is not exhaustive, right? But it is an example of his creative handiwork. He is our maker, and that too ought to humble us just a bit, shouldn't it? That as we recognize the majesty of God and the smallness of who we are, on that line and that continuum of eternity, we are just a little boop. That's what we are. And he's big. His majesty. He is truly, in the sense of the word, awesome. I don't use that carelessly here. I mean that. He is an awesome God. See, the more you read his word and see the character and nature of God, the more you tend to see the great chasm, the great distance, the great gap, the great difference between God and man. The creator and the creation. Once again in verse 7, you see a reason attached to the call to come. There's a reason. For he is our God. He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand or the sheep under his care. If you are in Christ, you are one mentioned in his pasture. You are one of the sheep under his care. And you know, as I considered a bunch of sheep scattered around a pasture, I was drawn to the image of eldership in the local church. You see, elders are called to shepherd the church or shepherd the flock of God. And yet as an elder, I too am one of the sheep under the care of the great shepherd. I am an under-shepherd, if you will, charged with the responsibility of leading and guarding and feeding, providing care for the souls entrusted to me here in this local assembly. I want you to see something about this verse, verse 7. The text says he is our God. We are the people of his pasture. This, this earth is his. He made it. He owns it all. We are sheep under his care. And praise the Lord for this because from what all I can figure out, sheep are not all that intelligent. They're not. I was thinking about the song we sang a week or two ago. Savior like a shepherd lead us. Much we need, (laughs) much we need thy tender care. Amen? We do. 
We need it. You see, the tendency here where we live is to worship and serve the created thing and not the creator. The tendency is to exchange the truth of God, as Romans says, the truth of God for a lie. To take what is here and turn it into some form of idol. We're drawn to it. We cherish it. We clutch it tightly in our hands. We somehow arrive at calling this object our own. How can this be, though, if God is the great God described here in the text? How can it be if he is the great king alluded to right here? Everything is his. He made it all. Even the money. Some of you are going, well, money. Deuteronomy 8.18. Even your money. Your money. It is he who has given us the ability to produce an income. You have a lot of money. Praise the Lord. Okay, great. God gave you the opportunity. God opened the door that you might have a job to provide income for your family. Even the money's not yours. People talk a lot about, do you tithe 10%? Do you give 10%? You know what? All of it's his. All of it. It's all his. How are we stewarding it? So it doesn't seem, as we read the text, that, that God is, is just okay with, with his people, the sheep of his pasture, worshiping other things. See, as great God and great king, he calls for complete surrender to his ways. He is a, as the Bible says, he's a jealous God. And now from a human understanding, human element, that kind of maybe rubs us. It seems kind of odd that he would be described as a jealous God. But here's the deal. He desires from us an undivided heart. There are no rivals here. He desires an undivided heart. To hear him and to be taught by him as the truth is in Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians 4, 20 and 21. You see, because that's the very thing that separates us from, as Paul writes, about the Gentiles. They were, they were living and operating a certain way in darkness, walking in darkness. But you have not so learned Christ, Paul says. If you have, been taught, if you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus Christ. Have you heard of church? Have you been taught by him? Or have you been taught, have you been getting a sampling? Have you been getting meals from other people other than the word of God? Has his word fed you? Perhaps you read Psalm 95. As you read, you realize that your worship of God has been hindered by a love for other things. The word perhaps maybe has been choked out for some time now due to the allegiance to other things. The psalmist's call to come is open to you today. In fact, that's the very next word in the end of verse 7. Today, if you will hear his voice, today, Psalm 95 takes a turn right here. It turns. Not too often do you hear verses 8, 9, 10, and 11 read. What do you suppose is the connect between the call to come and worship and the call to hear the voice of the Lord? What is implied in hearing his voice, according to the text? Well, if you read, based on the context, 8, 9, 10, and 11, it's a hearing which leads to obedience. Okay? It's a hearing which leads to obedience. Worship and obedience come Listen, this is important in this psalm. Worship and obedience come together in this psalm. How so? Well, taking a piece of history from Israel. The psalmist describes a painful, trying time of rebellion in their life. Many of you are familiar with the text. But he puts it forward for our learning Romans tells us that the scripture is intended for our learning, isn't it? Today, if you will hear his voice, today, there's a sense of urgency right here in the text. The voice of God speaks through his living word by means of the Holy Spirit, whose sole purpose is drawing people unto Christ. Hang with me. We're just about there. Turn to Exodus. This is where we were a few weeks ago. Kevin, you'll remember this passage very well. 
you preach from this text. Just a few verses, though, I'd like to read prior to the text you preached on that battle of the Amalekites and the Israelites. Picking up chapter 17, verse 2. Remember, they're in the wilderness. They're wandering, right? This is right after they've been rescued. Verse 2. The people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you've brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Oreb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa. And your little footnote there, you see that that literally means contention, or, or tested, tempted, right? And Meribah, which is contention. Because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted or tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? We go back to Psalm 95, verse 9. And 80 says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. We just read about this. When your fathers tested me. Listen to this. They tried me, though they saw my work. They had just seen the hand of God destroy the mighty Egyptian army. They had seen God miraculously open the Red Sea for them to walk on dry ground. They'd also seen God provide for them in Exodus 16, manna from heaven. And now here they are in Exodus 17. They're testing God, even though they had visibly seen, without a doubt... God at work in their lives. Tell me. Has that ever been true in your life? Have you forgotten, perhaps, this morning, what God has done in your life? Have you forgotten the length to which God went to save you, to rescue you? Are you testing and trying God this morning? Having seen how he has worked in your life? Are you willing just to continue to spurn what he's done for you? To walk a different way? Verse 10, chapter 95 of Psalm... For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation. I was grieved. I was angry. I was disgusted with that generation. And said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts. And they do not know my ways. Oh, let's be clear. It was not a sense of ignorance that they didn't know his ways. God spoke time and time and time and time again of his ways. They knew his ways. But because of their hardness of heart, because their hearts were not in it, in that sense, they didn't know his ways because they were walking in their own way. In fact, we can see a picture of this. If you turn to Jeremiah, back to Jeremiah chapter 6, there's a picture of this. Beginning in verse 16, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Also, I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear you nations and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words nor my law, but rejected it. So what was the result of Israel's disobedience? Psalm 95, verse 11 says, So I swore in my wrath, in my wrath. That too is a part of God's character. That too is a part of God's nature. 
Let's see that. I want you to see that very clearly this morning. God's wrath. We talk a lot about God's love. We like God's love. We like it. And, and we should. But this God that we serve, this God that we worship is also a God of wrath. And he says, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. I believe one of the things we see very clearly here is that God is not pleased at all with disobedience. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. This is all part of it. Hang with me. We are about there. We are. Okay. This is, this is the uh, supplemental text here that, that needs to be, to be read in light of, of the psalm here. Starting in verse 7 of chapter 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice. By the way, these words will sound familiar to you. If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Brethren, beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Beware! That's the word this morning. Beware! Does he just leave it at that? No. He gives something that we can do together to help one another in this. Look at verse 13. But exhort one another daily. Daily. Not just on Sundays. Daily. While it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said, here it is, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who, who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. Unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Again, the fear of the Lord is foundational to what we're talking about here this morning, church. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Oh, hear this. Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. I want you to hear that. If you have believed this morning in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have, it says right here. For we who have believed do enter that rest. That is good news. That is good news. He goes on and talks about, this uh, verse four, he's spoken in a certain place of the seventh day and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it, it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day saying in David today, after such a long time, as it has been said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do you see the repetition here, church? For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Making reference to the creation in the seventh day. Verse 11. Look at this. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. The example that we're reading about in Psalm 95, 8, 9, 10, 11. And then it says, for the word of God is living and powerful. Oh, we know that verse. Have you ever seen that verse in light of the context in Hebrews 3 and 4? We talk quite often about how the word of God is living and active and powerful and sharp. But did you know that it too has a context in the scripture? You see, in being diligent to enter his rest, take up his word. 
hear his voice. Is this not the God-breathed word? Co-author, 2 Peter chapter 1 says, the Holy Spirit was written by holy men, carried along by the Holy Spirit, right? Today, if you will but hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, do not walk in disobedience, a life of worship, which is what this psalm is speaking to two-thirds of the way. A life of worship is intended to align with a life of obedience. See, our God and King demands worship from an obedient heart. This is how we know that we love Him if we obey His what? Commands. First John. Worshiping the King, as He's called us to in this psalm, this particular worship described doesn't happen when his people are walking in disobedience, when his people take delight in walking in disobedience, when his people think that they can come into here, into this building, as though this is some safe place. You ever, been, you ever played tag and, you, and there's, a, there's a safe, I'm, I'm, I'm on a safe place, right? I, I'm, I'm here, I, I can't get me now. And some of you may think that coming into the building, being here on a Sunday is your safe place. As long as I'm here, everything's okay with me and God. I'm here to tell you this morning, according to what I read in the Word, that is not true. This is not intended to be some safe place where you can just for one day, for a couple hours in a day, get away from all your other stuff that you're doing, all the other allegiances that you're holding on to, all the other idols that you've built, all the other empires that you're, that you're seeking out. The Lord knows those who are His. He knows. Come. Sing unto the Lord. Come. Let us worship the Lord. Bow down. Kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Let us be diligent to enter into His rest. I want to read one other verse. I'm going to pray. I believe that this verse, these verses, need to be read in light of the text that we just went through here this morning. Because truly, it all comes down to this. Matthew chapter 11. I begin in 27. Jesus says, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. And the one to whom the Son reveals, wills to reveal Him. Listen to 28. Come, here's that word again. Jesus is speaking. If you have red letters, you see it's in red. Jesus is saying, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Today, there is an urgency, church. Jesus is making the call right here. Come. Some of you have already accepted and received and believed, right? John 1, 12. You've done that. You've come unto him. You've repented of your sin. You've confessed that sin before God. And you're walking in newness of life that the Bible speaks of. Some of you here today have not yet done that. Some of you right now have been walking and living in such a way. You have pushed aside the king's invitation, the king's call to come unto me. I want you to know that in coming unto Jesus, the Spirit's going to open your eyes. He's going to open your eyes to see. He's going to open your ears to hear. He does that work. When He does that work, I would want to exhort you to obey, to go, to come unto Jesus. Because He truly will. There is no one else, church, that will be able to give you Rest for your soul other than Jesus Christ.
Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. This word you've given is precious. It's sweet. Reminder here this morning in the psalm. call to worship, the call to come before this great God and great King that you are, to serve you, to give you our best, to give you our entire life, to surrender it all before you, to go where you would want us to go, to say the things that you would want us to say, to be simply a vessel that could be used for your glory, for your honor that we might honor and exalt and magnify your name and be about that. That would be our purpose in being here. Father, there's a warning put forth in the text too. Not hardening our hearts. Not continuing to go our own way. Father, I pray today that there would be many here who would hear the voice of the Lord, would desire... Father, you would just break through and plow the ground of the heart this morning. Break through, penetrate, pierce, do whatever it takes, Lord, to get the attention of your people. So that we together, as your church, as your body, as the people of your pasture, the sheep under your care, might be able to walk and keep in step together with the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, what a joy it is to be able to walk together in unity. And I pray, Father, we'd be able to do that as a church. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray we would take and carry your word and hide it in our heart yet this week. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the rock of our salvation. May we always remember that. And may, we, may it give us reason to shout joyfully unto you. Thank you, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.